This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm joined by writer Jennifer Silva Redman. And before we meet her, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Jennifer Silva Redman is the author of Honeymoon at Sea, How I Found Myself Living on a Small Boat, available in the next couple of days on September 19th and published by ReBooks in Toronto. And that, of course, is Rebecca Eckler's exciting publishing company. As well, Jennifer is an editor who blogs at www.jennyredbug.com. And as well, she pens the Substack newsletter, Honeymoon at Sea. She was formerly the editor-in-chief at Sunbelt Publications, an award-winning small press based in San Diego, and she's now their editor-at-large. Jennifer's also on staff at the Southern California Writers' Conference and San Diego Writers, Inc. Her essays and short stories have appeared in Science of Mind, A Year in Ink, both Volume 11 and 12, and Latinos in Lotus Land. She was prose editor for A Year in Ink, Volume 3, and co-founded the critically acclaimed Sea of Cortez Review. She now lives and works on a sailboat with her husband, Russell Redmond, who also works from their boat as a writer, artist, and teacher. Jennifer and Russell have been married for over 34 years, and all but three of those years were spent together on this small sailboat where, as it's written... They live somewhere on the west coast of North America. Her memoir, Honeymoon at Sea, has been called quietly funny and meditative. And I would add the word utterly romantic here because to live happily on what was initially a 26-foot sailboat is fascinating to me. And I can't wait to hear more about it. The book is also a wonderful lesson for all of us in how to live your life in a simpler, more mindful way with appreciation and awe of the natural wonder of what already exists all around us. I thought as I read the book that many of the secrets of happiness and maybe the secrets to life can be found in this book. Jennifer Silver Redmond, congratulations on Honeymoon at Sea and welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much, Judy. It's so wonderful to talk to someone who's obviously a reader and also I feel like our philosophies are already very much on a par. (laughs) Absolutely. I felt that way too as I was reading and I'll tell you more as we go along. But just in your own words, Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit more about your brainchild, Honeymoon at Sea? Well, when Russell and I first married, we took off on a small sailboat. And our idea was to go sailing for a couple of months as a honeymoon, which seemed already kind of unbelievably romantic and wonderful. But it was so wonderful and so rewarding to both of us that we just kept going. So we ended up spending a year in Baja Sea of Cortez. And 
over the years since then, I've told so many people that story and every one of them has said, you're a writer, you've got to write a book about this. It's people would love to hear that story. And I kept saying, yes, but I really, first of all, I don't think I knew what I wanted to say and I didn't want it to just be a journal. I did the, we did this and we did that. I wanted mm-hmm. it to have a purpose and to, to have something to say. And then once I decided what really was going to be, it was the, the finding time in my life where, you know, I'm working on other people's writing. And at the end of the day, I'm like everyone else. I wanted, you know, Netflix and chill. <laughs> yes. Including one, one of the people you've edited actually is Eric Peterson. Is that the Eric yes. Peterson actor, Street Legal? Oh, actually, it isn't. This Eric Peterson writes books set on private train cars. This is like talk about a (laughs) lovely thing as a vacation for the mind. They're like books where they travel on fabulous train cars and have fabulous food and drink. So it's Mm. it's like having a a virtual vacation. So that's so cool. That's so cool. We're glad to be in another one as well. That's great. There you go. What I also loved and felt related to immediately was that you were an actor living in New York. That's what my daughter does. She's a musical theater actress, but I so got that world and it was fascinating the way you described it. And I really love the way you wrote about the hustle and the bustle and the classes and the workshops and the auditions and the castings and the fact that you were a size six and they wanted you to be a size three, good Lord. (laughs) And all of that, the freneticism, the neon lights. And I'm wondering, how was that? What was that juxtaposition like to go from that bustle and hustle and dazzle of Broadway to really a world that is diametrically opposed, one where you're immersed in nature, being at sea. And what was that culture shock like? How would you describe that? Because that's a huge one. Yes, it totally was culture shock. And it was mental, physical and emotional. It was on every level because from the most practical, which I mentioned the fact that I had to give up coffee because I had been, as you say, a go, go, go kind of person, get up, go to auditions, go to class, go to work, work until 10 o'clock at night. By the time I get home and get to bed, it's midnight and then I'm up again early. So it's, you know, pounding the the espressos and the lattes at work <laughs> and at yes. late at night, another little boost for the dinner rush and a little coffee or espresso, you know, it was a nonstop thing. And that was just like everybody I knew, we all did that, you know, it was go, go, go. And so suddenly I was like sitting on a small boat going like, I have way too much energy to be sitting on this boat, (laughs) you know? So it was on a practical level, had to give up the caffeine and also just being active. I mean, New York, you know, you're always walking, you're always out and about. And suddenly I was sitting in a boat going three miles an hour, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. slower than I walk. Because <laughs> you wow. know, New Yorkers, wow. we walk fast. <laughs> I, I wondered about that as well, about that you are an active person. It's clear yeah, that you're yeah. an active person, even when it came, I'm jumping the gun, but even when we talk about meditation, your yes. form, your best form of meditation is walking or running, not right. sitting in that right. transcendental meditation pose that you did with your family when you, right. you had that experience with your brothers and your mother that didn't work for you. You want to walk, you want to move. So was that difficult to, as you say, to go from 20 to 30,000 steps a day, as they would say in today's Mm -hmm. lingo, Mm -hmm. you know, with your Fitbit to being stationary? How often did you get to get off the boat to actually walk and work? And I mean, I know you did, but not on the daily and not on the hourly and right. 
and and not right away, which made it, you know, I think up to the point that we took off, of course, we're tied to a slip in a marina. So in Harbor Island, San Diego is, is beautiful. I mean, it's, people go there for vacation. So I could walk off that and be on a three mile loop, which I did daily for many, many years then and later, which was, you know, my morning ritual with that three mile loop. Well, all of a sudden I'm on the boat. We take off the first night. We can't go to shore. The next night we get off for, you know, an hour, but it's this and that of things to do. The next week, we didn't get off the boat at all. So we would come into an anchorage, but it would be late and it would be time, we would be tired. And, and in spite of the fact that you're not walking those 20,000 steps, it's still tiring because it's mm-hmm. the sun and the wind and the, you know, everything, you know what it's like day at the beach is always tiring. Even if you feel like you yes. didn't do anything, you come home and you're yes. tired. So sailing is like that. You're active in a very different way. So we would get into an anchorage and I would heat up you know, something that I had pre-cooked and we would heat it up, we would eat it and we would be almost falling asleep by the time we got ready to go to bed. We were that tired. And so get up in the morning and get going. And there was the northern part of Baja other than Ensenada all the way down to Turtle Bay is very rocky and it's it's a kind of forbidding shoreline. So we went into shore in a couple of places, but most of the time we we would maybe get in the dinghy and row around and see the seals or something, but it wasn't where you could go to shore and have a walk. There was no sidewalk. There was no place to really. So my walking really came after we had gotten to La Paz and had places where we could get off the boat. And so it was a very much of of a shock on all of those levels. But I found there was so much reward in that, as I say, zen of sailing, you know, where a minute becomes an hour becomes all day and you're just watching it go by. And it's something that took some getting used to, but, but now I love it still. It's in your, it's in your blood. So you went from coffee to tea, from going Mm -hmm. to bed late at night to Mm -hmm. getting up at like five in the morning with the sunrise, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. going to bed very early. So all of those things, like I can't even imagine. And yet you're in love. So, you know, all of that's (laughs) happening. So you don't really notice it, but you're going, whoa, what is, what is going on here? and from makeup and high heels and all of that to putting on the same t-shirt and pair of shorts, you know, sometimes two or three days in a row, new underwear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I love how you talk about how you would go and you'd wash your hair, but you mm-hmm. had to get the right conditions because you had to make mm-hmm. sure that it was sunny enough to dry your hair because if it was, there was yeah. humidity, it would take days right. for your hair to dry. And, and then while you're doing it, you would kill two birds with one stone and wash <laughs> some of the clothing while you were in there. Right, all this stuff that we don't even think about and I can't even imagine and so when you're in love and it's the beginning Mm -hmm. and it's so exciting I can see how it would be whatever but Mm -hmm. were there ever times where you went because and I know there must have been because I read when you finally went to someone's apartment at one point you're like (laughs) Oh, good Lord, there's a fridge, yes. right? And there's yes. food in it. Yes. And, and yes. oh, wow, a hot shower. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. And a hot, yes. cushy towel that's, you know, Such all that appreciation. You yes, appreciation for the things that we take for granted. Because even when I was living on the boat in a marina, I had a hot shower a hundred yards away. I had a, a washing machine. I had, you know, I had a phone. I had all the things. It was to a lot of people would seem a little more difficult than living in a house, but compared to when you're actually sailing and you're coming in and dropping the anchor and then getting dinner ready. And as you say, you're tired by the time the sun goes down, you're falling asleep Mm. at six o'clock or seven (laughs) o'clock. Wow. And yet 
the splendor. And I want to just read this because there's passages in the book that really describe, and I think these are some of the passages that made me cry, the beauty and splendor of nature. And I would even say the holiness of nature at its best. And one of them I would love to share is this, as the boat gently rocked forward and the constellations moved across the sky, I came to feel as if I were held in some great hand, not in the sense of a heavenly figure watching over me, but as if I were resting upon the skin of an awesome being, a unity of life and consciousness that was mind-boggling in its intensity. The sheer grandeur of the universe was apparent to me in those few hours. Not that I could begin to grasp its totality, but I could conceive of the reality of it rather than an intellectual concept of it. And I, I, I could go on to talk about just all around you, under the ocean and beneath the earth, in every direction through space and into the infinite. And as amazing as that was, even more astounding was that I was here, somehow an integral, though microscopically minuscule part of it. It's the kind of feeling that can drive you insane or make you feel as I did very truly sane. That's exquisite writing, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I truly love that chapter. And it's just, you know, it really... And it was very life-changing. That Mm -hmm. night was the beginning of falling in love truly with the experience of being on the boat. And it changed from being, I'm on this boat and soon I will come back to where I belong, which is the ground and get off the boat. And it's it's like a car. I'm going to drive somewhere and then I'm going to get out of the car. And instead of that, it's I'm in this, you know, we call it the egg, you know, it's a delicate little, this little being and it's out there. It's very, it's fragile, but it's also strong in it, in Mm -hmm. like an egg, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and so it's out there perfectly made to withstand ocean travel. And yet you are this little thing that's part of, now you're part of the ocean and you're like a little bird sitting on the waves. And it really did change my entire life and uh, the whole journey did, but it truly began that night. So I'm so glad Mm. you liked it. (laughs) Oh, I I loved it. And 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 I also love that you're so real. Like it's not all, you know, um, <laughs> sentimental and and you know, glory be. Like there's you also talk, and I and I related to this as well about at one point feeling overwhelmed by the immensity and the enormity of it all. And I almost felt like it was like an agoraphobic or a phobic or a panic mm-hmm. attack kind of reaction yeah. where it was like, whoa, there's too much of this and yeah. just little me, and what do I do? And then something happened. And you settled down and you finally embraced it and felt at peace. Can you tell us what happened from that panic attack to that sort of acceptance and surrender? Well, it's the old saying, the only way through is through, you know, I I mean, there was no option. I mean, I wasn't going to go below and say, I'm panicking. I just wasn't going to do that. So I was just kind of sitting there taking deep breaths. I'm okay. It's okay. And you start kind of talking yourself off the ledge. You know, mm-hmm. this people go up and down this coast all the time. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've talked to many people who've done this. You know, this yeah. is the Pacific Ocean. I grew up, you know, with my toes in this ocean. This is my friend, right? And so I kind of just started thinking, or I stopped thinking probably, and just sort of was. And then 
that was when I really started feeling like, look at the stars. They're doing what they know how to do. The ocean's doing what it knows how to do. And I'm part of it. I'm now part of this, just like a bird or a, or a sea lion or a, you know, jellyfish. I'm just floating along being part of this and I can't fight it. And there, there's no point in being fearful. You know, there's no, I just was there. I was. When you had that realization and you realized you had settled down and you were okay, was there also a feeling of enlightenment or joy or? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely. And I feel like that's, as you know, I'm saying, oh, I really am that child of the universe. I'm I'm right here where I'm supposed to be. And it's okay. It's going to be okay. And then I really started thinking, I can do this, you know, I can do this, I can be on this boat, and this is only the beginning. So then I was pretty excited too, you know, that was very, it was, it wasn't, it was truly a joyful moment. And it went on. (laughs) Amazing. All the lessons, like there's so many life lessons in the book, which I want to get to, but just even learning how to become a sailor after years of being an actor. And you did, you had to quickly learn and you also had to combat some difficult things like seasickness. And I kept thinking to myself, even though you don't say it, that there's something steely about you, I believe, that helped you through a lot of things, you know, stubbornness. on that. Stubbornness, stubbornness. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and one of the things that Russell said, what she's been an actress in New York City for eight years. What is harder than that? It's full of rejection. It's full yes. of difficulty. It's full yes. of stress. It's full of rejection and frustration. And, oh, oh, you can't go to this audition because of this, or you can't be here. And, oh, you walk in the door and they go, no. Before you even right. say your name, they just say <laughs> yes. no. And I mean, things like that. <laughs> After a while, you get to the point where you're like, whatever, you know, go to the yeah, next one. I can handle you know, it. So I've, I've been you there. Gotta, <laughs> you got to toughen your skin up. Yes, like you said, yeah. you, you know, well, that's great. tough. Let's talk now about the relationship that made all of this possible. As your grandfather once said, if you want to get to know someone, take a long (laughs) trip in a small boat, which you did. So most people would take a nice three-month sail on the sunny seas of the Galapagos or the Greek Isles, but you embarked, as you've said, a sailing adventure spending almost 34 years at sea. Let's talk about the person that you spent and continue to spend almost four decades with on the water, your husband, Russell, who I think you were madly in love with from the moment you laid eyes on him as a young girl. (laughs) Can you tell us about that meeting, that passion and your love match? Because I think you've really met your love match and he is who you met in an acting workshop so many years ago, like even just that meeting. So cool. I'm not going to tell you guys any more just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break and when we come back. We're going to find out more about Jennifer's soulmate, who she met when she was a young girl. Be right back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. 
We're back. This is Finding a Bliss on Zoomer Radio, and I'm here with author Jennifer Silver Redmond. Just before the break, I was asking you, Jennifer, about meeting the love of your life when you were just a young girl. Can you tell us what happened? We met at an audition for the Old Globe for Our Town. And um, yes. Russell had actually met the guy that Thornton Wilder based the milkman on. This is a crazy story that I won't tell because it's just too, but it's wonderful. But he literally said to the guy, if I ever get a chance, I'll try out for the milkman. You're a part. So fast forward many years later, he sees an audition notice and he's not an actor, but he says, I'm going to go and see if I can play the milkman. So he okay. goes to this audition. I'm a 14 year old kid who's been acting for about two years at that point. Seriously. I mean, I'd done plays in school, but I'd done children's theater in San Diego. So I auditioned yes. for this play and we meet in the green room. I would love to say that I remember that moment, but I don't. We were just a bunch of people in a room <laughs> reading sides. But when I showed up to the first audition, I mean, the first rehearsal, we both got cast and I was playing George Gibbs little sister and he was playing Howie Newsom, the milkman. And I just thought he was gorgeous. And I just, it, you know, he just immediately was have something, like you say, there's something about someone. And so as time went by, we were in the next play together. Uh, he had a girlfriend that was a much more age appropriate actress. And yes. then I just kept showing up in his life. I literally, he had taken my headshots because he's a wonderful photographer. He yes. still takes my headshots. So as you saw my author photo, it's better yes. than I could get any other professional to do. He's wonderful. And so I kept saying, oh, you're going to take my headshots again. You know, I'd save up my money. He didn't ever charge me very much. And I would just keep showing up on his doorstep. And eventually I went to New York. I came back. I showed up one day and I said, oh, I just wanted to come by and see you at his studio where he was working as an illustrator. And he says, how old are you? And I said, 22. And 22. he said, let's go to lunch. <laughs> You're the right age now. I can have lunch with you. And that you know, lunch. You're legal. You're legal. And that lunch led to an adventure in Mexico. And uh, that really was a perfect symbol of everything that, you know, was a perfect metaphor for everything we would do in our life, which was cross some borders, uh, have way too much fun and have a few adventures and a few dangerous moments. Um, but it all works out. And we just, from that point on, even though we did, as you know, have a five-year hiatus after that, when he broke my heart and I went to New York, when we got back together, it was, was it. instantaneous. And yeah. people say when the timing is right, the timing is right. And I cannot agree more that, of course, it's wonderful. I would suggest that no one marries someone they don't know very well. Mm -hmm. But also sometimes when something is right, you both just know it's right. And from that point on, I just I kept thinking, this is Russell, you know, everyone knows yeah. he's a bachelor and everyone figured he, it was just never going to happen. Then suddenly, boom. I also loved how your mother, who you also referred to as Diane in the book later on, right. bumped into him during that five-year yes. hiatus. Yes. And yes. I, I love that, the way she's like, yes. oh, well, she's very happy. She's in a relationship. She, she's yes, he's this actor. handsome actor. He's so wonderful. They're having, they have a fabulous... And all of it was true. All of it was true. But of course, she also wanted to say like, okay, you broke her heart. You now eat your heart out because she's yeah. happy with a fabulous guy and a fabulous place. And uh, I was I like, way that. to go, mom. Way to go. That's what you want your mom to do. So your mom was, sounds was like perfect. she was, um, I'm sorry about the loss of your mom. Oh, and uh, she was a I phenomenal just, human oh, being. 
a human, a, a phenomenal a, human being. And yes, yes we just uh, four years ago, this this month, lost her. And I'm so glad that she got to know Russell even better. And that at the end, you know, which of course is not in this book, we spent time with her living in her tiny little house that became our house. And um yes. And all of us like roommates in this tiny house. But of course, she would say, who's better to be roommates in a tiny space than you two? <laughs> and another thing I felt in common with you, my parents got divorced when I was three years old. Your parents separated when you were three, but they got back together and they ultimately did not end up together. What right. did you think you learned from the failure of your parents' marriage? Well, I think one, they absolutely had nothing in common other than the fact that they lived on the same block. They were, you know, he was literally the boy next door in Pasadena and she was beautiful. I mean, photographers literally stopped her on the street and that is no lie. A, a studio photographer stopped her in the street at age 14 and wanted to give her, get her a contract in the movies. Wow. I mean, she was stunning. Wow. She looked like Ava Gardner. Wow. And so I can see what he saw in her. And of course, love is love. I'm not saying my dad wasn't a handsome guy. He was, but you know, they just had nothing in common. And mm -hmm. so I think they liked each other. They had fun together. But the minute she had three kids in three and a half years, you know, so it's a very difficult thing to do when you're 21 years old yes. to have three kids already. And he yes. had work and life and friends and she had kids. <laughs> and that yes. was, you know, so many people, of course, had that experience and managed to make it work. And I think that, you know, the fact that they stayed friends and were always very you know, they, they stayed friendly. And I think that was really important. And, so cool. Yeah. That's we were so never cool. told by either one of them, like that person's a bad person. And so we, as I say, he was like a doting uncle and, and that worked. <laughs> yes. But also the fact that I learned that you need to, people say work in a marriage and other people say, what does that mean? And what it means is picking your battles. It means biting your tongue. It means thinking about the big picture. It means all of those things, but also that means something that none of us can really put our finger on. It's just, mm -hmm. as Russell would say, the luck is astounding. You find yes. somebody that you, as you say, your soulmate, your match for life kind of thing. And yes. you can't give that anything but luck. I think it's also you guys too, though, because you both, like I love when you talk about how, you know, there are times where the food was plentiful and there were times where you ate pancakes three times a day, but you would laugh together. You wouldn't sort of get at each other. And it's not that you never had a fight. You described one on the boat. And I thought, that was pretty amazing that you just described one because I think right. most people living right. in those close quarters would be at right. each other, but you guys weren't. But interestingly enough, the story about eating pancakes three days a week is really me and my brothers and my mom. So we had already gone through some really tough times and we knew what it was like to live in a house with the cupboard yes. pretty much bare. And we also yes. knew what it was like to travel together like a group and find comfort in each other and find strength in each other. So yes. what I didn't know when I was nine and 10 years old and, and 11 years old and 12 years old when we were backpacking around Europe and going to communes in California and Oregon and all the things my mom and my brothers and I did was that it was preparing me for the very life I still live and for that wow. first year, that honeymoon at sea, because it was 
everything is a balance. Everything is a trade-off. You know, okay, I don't have a hot shower and I don't have a laundry room, but I've got the most beautiful clear water that anyone's ever seen that you can go to maybe for a week in Cancun if you're lucky or or Hawaii, but I'm living here. I can jump off the boat first thing in the morning or last thing at night. I can spend all day at the beach or all day in the water. And all of this is right here. And I'm with this person that I have fun with and we are laughing and singing songs and being silly. (laughs) And of course, as you say, it's not all fun and games. But when you're having arguments, once again, you have to remember this is not always you know, this is not always going to be like this. Let's just take some deep breath. Time yes, to go get take, to a it. Time take a swim. Take, take a, a little, walk. A little, a little walk <laughs> off. But, but you know, I, I love also, there's a paragraph in the book where you talk about there's yachts that people live on that aren't big enough for them. And your Absolutely. initial boat was 26 feet and it was perfect Absolutely. because you were so madly in love and are so madly in love that it just works. And I found yep. that so... I don't know. There's something about it that resonated so deeply that, you know, yachts that aren't big enough, homes mm-hmm. that aren't big enough. Yes. And then there's this tiny little 26 footer and yes. you're happy. That's and how cool. many times have we seen somebody, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, you know, somebody interviewed them a hundred years ago. I can't think when. And I remember them saying, we always think of our first little cold water flat somewhere, you know, where we had to walk up six flights. I mean, we've all heard these stories, right? Our grandparents or our parents or whatever. That was the yes. good old times. And they look at each other and go like, remember that, you know, remember that crazy yes. landlady or remember the eight flights of stairs? Remember when we lived on ketchup and, and pasta, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, uh, or people yes. that went through the depression and they can remember or people who've gone to war. I mean, I don't want to compare this to war, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. Friendships and relationships are forged through shared struggle and shared adversity, but also shared joy. So all of those things were the foundation that went into this relationship that we have today because we took the time. Now, I'm not saying that people are going to be able to take a year off their lives, but it's the committing to that, getting to know that person, getting to interact with them and find what works and find the style, find the joy. Find the bliss. Find the joy. <laughs> Find the bliss. And and also, like, there's a whole chapter on sex. But you, like, from the day one, you've just had passion and romance. Yeah. So yes. was it hard to have that physical romantic relationship on a boat? Or does the boat lend to having a great romantic <laughs> well, sex life? It, it totally lends to it because part of it is that in spite of the fact that, you know, you can spend all day long, you know, I mean, there'd be places where we'd be in an anchorage and there's no one around for miles. And wow. I get up in the morning, put on a pair of panties. It's 90 degrees. <laughs> I don't yeah. need to put on any more clothes. So I may yeah. not ever put any more clothes on that day. You know, we're we're outside, we're in and out of the water or in a bathing suit, you know, and basically spending the day in a bathing suit, whether I'm in or out of the water. So there's a part of it is, as Russell would say, easy access. Um, but part of it, part of it is that, you know, there's the, I'm sure that titillation factor, you know, people are nearly nude. There's a sensuousness to the water, to the temperature, the air, to the beauty that's 
surrounding you. Um, And of course, people have heard the old story about if people put a bean in a jar and every time they have sex in the first year, then they take a bean out, they'll never get to the bottom because most people have a lot more sex in the first year than they ever have any other time. Um, I like to think that we're you know, still filling the jar, but it definitely was joyful and blissful to be in that situation. Mm. But I think no matter where we've been, we were pretty crazy about each other, as you say, and we still so, are, you know, he still, still floats my boat, as Rebecca would say. She as Rebecca here. would say. And, he and still also, floats my boat. <laughs> and also, I love that it's like, you don't need a waterbed. You're, you no, know, you're in a what? No, you're no, in the waterbed of life. Definitely. What do you think ultimately, like it sounds like you're friends, you have passion, you have humor, you can laugh like at the moments where it gets, you know, a little stressful. But what ultimately do you think has made your incredible, love match, love affair, relationship work? I think the first thing you said that we're really best friends. There, mm-hmm. if, if something great happens to me, you know, for many years, of course, it was my mom. You know, I'd say, oh, I've got to tell my mom about this. Yeah. But as you get older, you know, you're on your own. And it's sometimes something good happens. You're like, not even sure who to call. Do I call my agent? You know, I mean, to call, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. It, 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 and, and then, you know, we were lucky enough to find a best friend that we also fell in love with and had passion for physically. So that's just like, once again, talk about the lottery. It's unbelievably lucky. But I think also, you know, we're both very passionate people in a bad way as well. And we can, you know, we can have our screaming moments and our lost tempers and all of that. But we always come back to this. It doesn't get any better than this. In that one fight that you talk about in the book, it's like, and I thought to myself, where do you, like, actually, where exactly. do you go if there is nowhere exactly. to dock the boat? And, you, you know, you don't have the little dinghy to go, what do you do? Where do you go? And you sort of went to one end of the boat and he went to the other <laughs> end. And then ultimately you, you retired, right? And you both came yeah. back together and, and it right. was just an immediate, I'm sorry, I love you. I'm sorry. He's, you know, and, yeah. and it was, it, you just, you can't even go there. You know, it's like, don't go go to bed mad, but really on a boat, you can't go to bed mad. You can't go to bed mad. (laughs) And and I think we have, as you mentioned, a slightly larger boat now. It's a 35-foot sailboat, which people that know boats know that a 35-foot sailboat is quite a bit larger than a 26-foot sailboat. But most people would still consider it a small boat, uh, especially in the world of 50 and 60-foot sailboats being fairly common now. But we do have two separate sleeping berths. We always sleep together. But if someone sick or insomniac or, you know, whatever. Um, It's nice to have that other option, but it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, People still look at our V-birth and go, you guys sleep here together. You know, it's very small, (laughs) but we're like, we're so used to it. And I miss him when he's gone. And even if he's only gone a couple of days, so, you know, it's of course it, the honeymoon course continues, Judy. The it's, honeymoon it's continues. It's really, it's really awesome. <laughs> Listen, Je- uh, Rebecca and I were talking this morning and we both were saying, like, you have to be a little bit jelly, a little yeah. bit jealous about yeah. this. Le- no matter what, how great your own marriage is, because this is just like next level, crazy, incredibly well. You both had very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you grew up sort of, your parents were more hippie, groovy, cosmic, mm-hmm. and he grew up more middle class. In the olden days, mm-hmm. we would say square. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've sort of pulled those threads together. There's one image in the book that I can't get over, with, a place that your mother had for you and your brothers, where you sat on cushions on the floor 
mm-hmm. and this table was very unusual. Tell us a little bit about that. Actually, we're going to go on a short commercial break, and when we come back, we'll find out all about that wonderful place that your family lived in. We'll be right back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Hi, we're back. This is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. And just before the break, I was asking you, Jennifer, about your childhood home and your memories of that very special place. That house is still there. I, mean, I won't say the address, but it was on Linney Canal in Venice, California. And wow. I saw it not long ago. It's still there. A good friend of mine still lives in Venice. So when we go there, we take walks in the canals. And that house we moved into, and it was like there are certain houses that are a love affair. You walk in and you're just, this is it. This is us. Mm-hmm. And we did. There was, there was big spools that they still put like wire, you know, when they're stringing telephone wires. They run wow. them around a big wooden cable spool. So when they would empty these, the hippie guys would go and catch, get them from the, you know, phone company or whatever, and they'd bring them home and you'd turn them on their side. So it's a big round table. And so this rough wooden table was, we would sit around it on these cushions. And there was, of course, the big obligatory, big, huge speakers that, you know, as big as a, as a chair that sat there with the play in the Crosby, Stills and Nash and Joni Mitchell and that. And we would, I would just lie there on the floor and I just remember thinking, I don't know if I used the word cool, but I probably did because it was 1969. Like, this is the coolest house in the world. And as you say, <laughs> people would come by and they'd bring somebody in and or they would say, oh, I'm going to Berkeley tomorrow. It's like, oh, spend the night, man. It was crash pad. It was totally yes, crash pad. Yes. So there was always room for somebody to spend the night. And my mom was the earth mother, you know, here, have some soup, have some salad, have some bread. <laughs> and to this day, the place we had in San Diego was my the same once we settled there and people still will say oh I remember your mom and you know that house and and uh, we we really did my brothers and I are still very close luckily another great relationship that lovely that goes on so they were even like parents to you right when, when oh, you yeah. were very little and I and I think you said something about by the time you were six years old you said like a full sentence like they, they you just you were treated almost like a little adult but they were your they were your second yeah. parents right you, they, yeah Definitely. They adopted Definitely. that role. Yep. That's so cool. Um, and still are. <laughs> and still are. Isn't that nice? I have. I mean, their older brothers never stop being older brothers. You're They're, their baby you know, sister. Every now and then, every now and then I can give a piece of advice. They may never listen, <laughs> but every now and then. Yeah, you can try. You can attempt. There are so many themes you explore in the book, especially about love, love for men, love of sailing, love for a life-changing journey. And I'm wondering that I think living on a boat makes you really see what's important and what matters. And what do you think are the things that matter the most in life? Well, one of the things that I think is so 
different about living on a boat is there's no separation from nature. I mean, it, it sounds like such an obvious statement, but every day is at the whim of Mother Nature. So everything is out of effect of nature. Whereas when you're in a, a home, most people come out of their air-conditioned or heated home into an air-conditioned <laughs> or heated car and go to an air-conditioned or heated office or office place. And mm-hmm. so, and they go outdoors when it's nice. Because who's going to go to the park when it's not nice? Who's going to go to the beach when it's not nice? Who's going to go on vacation when it's not nice? You know, so you plan it around nature. So in a sense, we're constantly appreciating and being at effect of the real world. So it puts a lot of other things in perspective. One of the most poignant moments is at the end of the book when you talk about simplicity. And and I think another theme in this book is just living a simpler life helps you experience riches in ways you couldn't have imagined. You don't have a lot of space for material belongings living in the tight quarters of a boat. And what I've noticed is that the fewer things you're able to keep, the more you're able to appreciate and recognize what you do have and what you do need to be happy. Well, getting back to the thing you said about space, here's something to think about. You know, no matter if you have a four bedroom house or a 20 bedroom house or a one room studio, most of us come into our space. Maybe we make some food or take a shower, but most of the time we spend in our chair our favorite spot. (laughs) You're right. You know, maybe you sit in another chair to eat dinner, but most of the time, most of us don't even do that. We sit in our chair and eat. We sit in in our chair and snack. It's like, you know, that's our spot. That's our comfortable spot, you know, Um, whether it's a rocking chair or a lazy boy or the bay window with the little pillows, you know, we all have (laughs) that spot that we love. And that's on a boat is the exact same thing. I mean, I have a place that I sit and I put my feet up on the compression post that comes through underneath the mast. And like my feet just fit there. It's too small for anybody else. I'm only five, three. So, you know, but that's a perfect spot for me. That's a comfortable spot. Yes, so it, yes. it, it really is that space. As I say, that a small boat has plenty of room for people who enjoy being together and a yacht doesn't. Doesn't so, it won't make you so happy. It won't. It won't make you happy. Your memoir has been described as charming, humorous, and meditative. And I was wondering if the meditative tone do you think came from writing at sea with the lull of the waves and the gentle motion of the boat? Do you think that lent itself to your memoir's inherently meditative nature? I think so, definitely, because every day on a sailboat is at some point, especially if you're traveling, as I said, we consider ourselves to be going plenty fast enough when we're going four or five knots. And oftentimes we're going two or three and we don't want to turn on the engine because that's loud and noisy and, you know, all of that. So we just go along very slowly, you know, like a really slow stroll. right? (laughs) And so there is that element that when we rode ashore, like we did this morning, we rode to shore and took a walk with the dog. But, you know, you can only row so fast and you can only sail so fast unless you're in a racing sailboat. But it makes you slow down, which, as you know, from yoga and meditation, part of the reason we do it is to give ourselves that signal to calm down, to lower our heart rate, to take deeper breaths, to feel, to be more in our body in that moment 
to be really yes. there instead of we're always somewhere down the road next week, this deadline. Before or, or after what well, just after happened. Just say, I wish right? I hadn't said that yesterday, you know? Yes, yes. I'm the same way. I mean, we all do that, but you need to, as I talked about my great acting teacher said, if somebody, if the, when the cab almost runs you down, you should say thank you because it's the first time you've actually been in your body in that moment all day. Yes, absolutely. I, I love that it, you talk about, about the acting teacher also because so many things. Oh my God, we, we, we need we He need was two such a guru. To, he was such a guru he, to me. He talked about stillness yeah. and he talked about living in the moment and living in the yes. present, like which is yes. early mindfulness, right? Like so, so amazing. So, right? Totally and, mindfulness. And these are life lessons. And I also love, and I know we touched on this earlier, but that with meditation, it didn't work for you to sit and go, you know, in the lotus position Mm -hmm. or to do that transcendental meditation. You found it with walking or running, but you also found it in a very cool way, which was to meditate was when you created those beautiful mosaics out of shells and rocks. And I think you got into a flow state from doing that, right? Because your soaps are kind of like what you described on the boat when you're Mm -hmm. feeling seasick. Mm -hmm. If you're driving the boat, you are steering the boat, you are focused on something else other than how you're feeling. So it's the same thing with the shells and the rocks and making art and being creative. You're just in that, you're engrossed, you're almost like on a little mini vacation and you don't think about whatever it is. So you're in a mindful place. Yes. And, I, I and Russell that. was doing that with his painting. Like he would, he would start yes. painting and then I would say, Hey, it's time for lunch. And he'd go, I just started. And I was like, no, three hours ago, you just started. And, and as you say, when I was doing those things, hours would go by and like, Oh, wow. And we can all take those mini breaks. I love the way you said that in our day quite easily, but we just need to be reminded of doing it, you know, being grateful for your body being healthy and the gift of every day. At a certain point on your journey, you changed your dream from becoming a full-time actor to writing. And I sense this was because you didn't want to base your happiness and self-worth on other people's approval of you anymore. You wanted to create your own bliss through writing. So I guess the first question is, do you still have the acting bug in you? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I got to do the audiobook narration and it was nice. the hardest thing that I've done in like 20 years by far. Wow. It was so difficult, but I have no desire to be sitting down and memorizing <laughs> 120 pages of lines. Yes. So I think I'll stick to just, you know, maybe a, the occasional TikTok video. <laughs> <laughs> Also fun. That's a great way to get also out there. And also you would you would perform for your husband on the boat. You would yep. sing and do entire musicals. And I love that. Like and, and he was and, and he was and read books. He was he loving it. He, yeah. he loved he would it. Love, he was blown he loved away. When I I would, yeah. He would love when I would read when he was painting. He said that was his absolute favorite thing. He listens to movie scores. And so I love listening to movie scores too, because <laughs> they are like a movie only without words. So we would entertain each other in lots of ways. What was your writing routine on the boat? Was there one? Did, what did your writing process look like? I know sometimes you struggled to get motivated and even your journey to exploring your creativity while sailing was not always a smooth one. Can you tell us more about your writing process? 
Well, most of the time for me, it was sitting down and saying, okay, if I wanted to expand this, say a journal entry, there was a storm, we were in a storm. How am I going to turn that into an essay or a short story or an article, depending on what I was trying to do? So I would try and go through the processes. And as an editor, when I'm working with authors, I say this as well, is build the set just like you would as an actor. You know, you, you're the director and the actor and the set designer, and you're the guy who does right. the sound. So in other words, what did it feel like? Mm-hmm. What was the temperature? What was the time of year? What could you smell? What could you feel? What could you sense? And go through, build that setting, you know, put yourself in that space. Now, you may not keep all of, you might write three pages about the time of year or the, or the scent of oleander blossoms, or you might <laughs> talk about, you know, the sand between your toes. That might not make the final cut, but it informs what you're writing about. And it gets you in touch with that, as we talked about, that flow state. How are sailing and writing similar? Oh, they're similar in the sense that you don't always know where you're going when you start. You say, oh, we're going to cross the sea and we're going to go to this island or this, or we're going to Puerto Vallarta. But halfway across the wind switches, and no, we're not going to make Banderas Bay. Like, <laughs> we're going to go to Punamita. We're going to go here. And writing is like that. You may think this is a story or an essay about us taking a car trip to Las Vegas, right? But instead, it's about an argument or a difference of opinion, or it turns out being about the flashback that was in the middle of the story, all of a sudden that takes precedence and it might turn into a novel or it might turn in, you know what I mean? You yes, don't yes. know when you sit you down know. to write. It's lovely. And that's the joy of writing. It's, yeah. and I think when people say they have writer's block, they're blocked because they're trying to make their creativity go somewhere it doesn't want to go. Have fun with it. Play, get your, get your hands in the, in the dirt and play Mm -hmm. because it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be work. And I also love when you write in your book, starting that day, I began to expand my notebooks of ideas, vignettes and anecdotes into stories and articles. The end of each workday filled me with a sense of accomplishment. Like you get when you've painted a room or planted a garden, when you've been useful and that your mom wrote a poem that perfectly summed up the feeling, which begins What a strange hobby to write words down and sigh in satisfaction like I baked bread, cleaned house, instigated action. Maybe I'm a real writer. And that's when I started thinking this, if if this feels this good and feels this meaningful to me, with, as you pointed out very perfectly, with no one else telling me, yes, you're okay. Yes, you can do this. Start now. Instead, it was just me getting up in the morning, putting my the pencil on the paper and going when I felt that I could. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, maybe I can proclaim myself a writer because yes. who else is going to do it for me? And so, and so I did. <laughs> I took did that you- leap. How did you feel when you finished the book? What did that feel like? Oh, it felt tremendous. And part of that was the experience of working with Rebecca and her her editor and uh, Deanna, who was fabulous. And the two of them, I think they know well that you need to keep giving the feedback that, yes, it's good and it's going to be done. Now, just expand a little more in this chapter and a little more here. Now, take a little more of this out um, so that when it finally happened, I was actually glad. I was Okay, good. I'm done. And of course, I'm working on another book already. So. Oh, that's so awesome. So, so awesome. 
Well, I could actually ask you a million more questions. I'd love to talk about your <laughs> husband being a screenwriter and also a painter. And I, I, I just, okay, I have to read a little bit of this because guys, this is such Thank beautiful you. writing. We barely made it to sunset, but it was worth staying awake for. The hills had turned a deep violet and the sky was illuminated with golds and deep reds all reflected on dramatic cloud formations that spread across the Seriland sky. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. In rose, gold, and hot pink billows and streaks. I'm not going to go on and on, but just... Thank you. The writing... Thank you. ...is so evocative and so gorgeous. Whether you're that talking my, about... That was my uh, goal, of course, was, you know, when... Uh, and Rebecca used the phrase that it's uh, aspirational, that people can read this book and dream, whether they ever want to go sailing or whether they want to spend a year with their yes. loved one in close quarters, maybe in a cabin, maybe somewhere else. I mean, there's a million ways to do it. It could be tent camping. Now it's van life, right? There yes. could be a million ways to do this same story, but it might just be comfortable in your lazy boy, enjoying that virtual adventure and going, a friend of mine who's 93, this was so <laughs> cool. He played my dad in that production of Our Town where I met Russell. And he got an advanced copy because he writes books and writes reviews. And he wrote, this is one of the best books I've read and I'm turning 93. He said, I was with you at every point, swimming in the water and sailing. And I just thought, nothing is going to beat that. Nothing is going to beat that. And that just made me feel so good. Oh, I, I, I just, you said some places on earth are simply too beautiful for words. And yet you got, you saw some of those places. <laughs> well, and, thank and you, you. And thank you. And you, you described them for us who may never see them. Many of us, right? Thank and you so, so much. It's uh, quite incredible. It's uh, nothing is better than talking to someone who is not only a enthusiastic reader, but somebody who gets my book. And I think you totally got it. And I'm just so thrilled to be able to have this conversation with you. It's just, it's just made my, my day, my week, my month. <laughs> what is bliss for Jennifer Silver Redmond? It's the life I'm living right now. We're still super happy. We're still in love. We're still have projects. He's working on a novel, which I love and which he reads sections to me and I just laugh. It's funny and poignant. And I'm working on projects and doing my editing, which I think is really my calling is working with authors and our little boat and our little dog and our little life just brings me so much joy. And every day is an opportunity for bliss. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. And absolutely a, a true, a truly a delight and an honor to sit down and talk to you today. Thank you so much. What is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? Well, I'm the only Jennifer Silver Redmond on Facebook. So that's a super easy way. And I'm Jay Silver Redmond everywhere else, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, though I'm hardly ever on it. But also, as you said, my Substack is just Honeymoon at Sea. If you Google Honeymoon at Sea, other than a bunch of places that are trying to sell you a trip <laughs> to Fiji or Hawaii, there you'll see uh, my Substack as well as some options on places to buy the book, which I hope people will. <laughs> and also as well, how can people get a copy of the book, get their hands on the wonderful book, Honeymoon at Sea? Well, Honeymoon at Sea is available at all the normal online retailers, bookshop.org, as well as at Indigo, Barnes & Noble, and your favorite local independent bookseller. Awesome. Thank you. 
Each week we spotlight a fabulous person who is living their bliss like Jennifer Silver Redmond. So if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. We also love to feature singer, songwriters, and musicians on the show. If you're a singer, please reach out to us. Also, what did you love about today's show? Are there any guests or topics you'd like us to feature on Finding Your Bliss? Write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. If I can help you in any way, please let me know. You can also reach out to Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And all you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I'd like to thank our wonderful guests, Jennifer Silver Redmond, for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, producer Olivia Weatherall, audio engineer Juliani Anitsiello, editor Lauren Kaminsky, video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez, audio producer Faz Kazi, everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.